How are you doing, Gramps? Oh, I'm excited. Yeah? Well, this is the first time we're filming in a bed. Well, <laughs> it's a little weird the way you say that, buddy. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to why in a second. Okay. But first, before we say why, do you ever think about how, how like, what you were doing when you were my age? Ooh, I worked for the federal government. Yeah. And um, we had our first uh, baby. Yeah, you were a dad at this age. Yes, and yes. First baby. And I remember, oh, you don't want to hear the story, do you? We, we can get to the story in a little bit. Okay. But the reason I asked is because is you were a parent. Yes. And me right now, and I think a lot of kids my age, are not parents at 22-ish. Most, A lot of us are, are waiting later to have children. Okay. But having a child is a big thing. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. And today we have a, an absolutely amazing guest with us, Miss mm-hmm. Jenny Joseph. And she has written a book, has opened a birthing center, has helped teach so many people how to be there during such a momentous part of, of so many women and families' lives. Um, and, uh, and we are so grateful to be here with you today. Well, thank you, and I'm very grateful to be here too. Looking I feel like forward I'm, to this conversation. Yeah, I feel like I missed a few things. You've done so many, so many great things. Well, you know, I mean, it is all centered around birth, you know, from start to finish. This year marks my 42nd year as a midwife. Oh my gosh. I know. I started um, training when I was 19. Oh my gosh. And I've done nothing else. So when I was 22, I was yeah. already a midwife. Oh my gosh. Which God. is weird because. Yeah. I was doing all kinds of things in that world mm-hmm. without having much clue myself. <laughs> I didn't have a child till I was 27. Okay. But I have spent my entire adult life in this field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yes. It's crazy to think that what everyone is doing at 22 is so different than yes. Yes. me hanging out with my grandpa every week. <laughs> yes. I, I was reading about you. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps going on and on and on. All of the things that you know and teach in order for people to have healthy babies, healthy pregnancies. You teach people to be midwives. You've traveled the world speaking on health issues and how to protect both mamas and babies and fathers and families. And I kind of thought, you know, we could do just a show sharing with people all of the things you've done. And, you know, if somebody really wants to know, it's so easy to find uh, Jenny Joseph on the Internet. And you could read forever and you can watch videos about her and you can <laughs> you you can read her book and but that's not why we're here today really is i'm i'm so interested in asking you some questions that are kind of professional personal kinds of things i mean look at all of those years you've been doing what you do and you've helped thousands of people. But I think the first question I have 
if you don't mind me asking the question, is what were the struggles you had to face in order to create such a wonderful center as this and another one that's down in the center of Orlando? Yes, well, you know, it's kind of a very long and convoluted story. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me start really at the beginning because my parents emigrated from the West Indies in the 1950s from Barbados and moved to England. And we were all, I'm the eldest of four, we were all born and raised, educated there. My family still, they are based in England at this point. But I came to the United States in 1989. Okay. So... The struggles show up in that um, immediately leaving one country for another. Mm-hmm. I left England as a very experienced midwife. I'd worked for many years delivering babies, um, in teaching hospitals in London. I had a lot of experience and I didn't do any research. You know, I fell in love with a beautiful American guy and he proposed marriage and I came and we got married and I didn't do any research. I just arrived. I was like, oh, I'll get a job at the hospital because obviously Americans have babies. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where one of the first struggles started. Everyone was like, what are you talking about, midwife? We don't do that. Yeah, That's old. Oh, my goodness. No, we don't want you in our hospital. Go away. <laughs> and I was horrified. And I literally couldn't find work in my profession because in the 1980s, 1990s, folk were like, no, sorry. That's not what we're doing anymore. And so... I had to figure a way to re-establish myself and I actually ended up having to become an independent midwife because no one would hire me. Mm. And the struggle was getting licensed in the state, being able to establish a practice in the state, to be an entrepreneur, which was not in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. I've been employed mm-hmm. for my entire working life. I had to work with families and, and people who didn't understand what I was even talking about let alone want to, you know, engage me to support them through their childbearing. I had to deal with politics. I had to deal with consternation. (laughs) I had to deal with medical practitioners who were quite um, frustrated and annoyed. There were so many obstacles and struggles. And then on top of that, as a black woman um, emigrating into the United States, I didn't understand the impact of the history of black people and um, indigenous people, marginalized people, in terms of how that affected their childbearing and their health in general. And so there was an awful struggle to recognize that there were very few practices and providers really taking good care, enough care that people weren't suffering or literally dying during birth, during pregnancy, during their postpartum. And so that was another struggle, having to engage from a place of activism, from a place of um, advocacy, Mm -hmm. as well as providing a clinical service. So it was a series of unhappy events that kept pushing me towards, well, now do this. Well, now add that. No, you need the third. Because it wasn't simply, oh, my particular skill set, delivering, taking care of pregnancy, birth and postpartum, that wasn't enough. Nowhere near enough mm-hmm. to really be impactful and to make sense. So I named my organization Common Sense Childbirth because that was what I felt was missing. Where's the common sense? The rest of the entire world uses midwifery. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. The general public expect the midwives to take care of them. The medical um, establishments collaborate with the midwives so that it remains safe. And we all win. And so to come into an environment where it was complete anathema to that is what I think, you know, set all these struggles in place. But then I think, and I'm grateful for the ability then to overcome and to, I feel, triumph through all of them. Because here we are, mm-hmm. all these years later, yeah. mm-hmm. still thriving. So I, I spent a year abroad. Mm. And I definitely felt like there was such a different mentality around the medical space and getting care while I was in Europe versus being here in America. Mm-hmm. And how would you explain the role of a midwife and, and how that profession was respected at the time in, in London, in the UK, versus in America where like most people, a lot of people don't even know what a midwife is. They're Still. just... Yeah, they're just aware that like you're pregnant, you go to your OBGYN and then you go to the hospital and a a doctor delivers the baby. So like what would you consider to be like the differences between what we consider normal here Mm -hmm. versus what's normal there? It's an absolute world of difference. Yeah. I think everywhere in the rest of the entire world, healthcare is a human right. Correct. It connects to our humanity differently. Here... Sadly, unfortunately, healthcare is business. And healthcare is politics. Absolutely. So one of the most stark differences is that there's no impediment to you receiving healthcare wherever else you are, if it's not America. Um, when I arrived here, I was totally blown away. I, I was incredulous that there could possibly be a system where you could be told, no, we won't see you. You can't come in. Yeah, that's hard when you don't know any different. I did not. I did not have a clue. So it's not just Europe, though. I mean, it is the rest of the entire world, developed and, you know, developing world, where healthcare is provided. I mean, we as Americans rush overseas all day long to save the day, to open up the access to the healthcare, to train the folk and support the folk and do all the programs. We're spending I don't know how many billions, trillions of dollars overseas to ensure that human right. For me, midwifery being the discipline for normal, healthy people, right, which is why it is the primary healthcare choice across the world for um, childbearing women and people, to come from that and then be, you know, stark, the stark realization that you literally could go through an entire pregnancy and not receive any care through no fault of your own. Yeah. So when I opened Common Sense Childbirth, I, I started the organization in 1998. And I um, named it that because I felt, like I said, Common Sense was, was missing. But also our mission, and it remains to this day, we're 25 years old at this point. Our mission is no one turned away. That's amazing. And that was the only thing I could think of at the time. Because I was like, well, how are you going to fix this mess? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. <laughs> so in comparison to Europe and the rest of the world... That's already what stands. Correct. So that's what I wanted to emulate. Yeah, I remember being, I was in a class in Italy and a teacher of mine was injured and they, the hospital wouldn't let him come back to work because they knew that he would have likely gotten re-injured and then the hospital system would have Mm -hmm. had to do another procedure. Uh And so they like forced him to stay home. And Mm -hmm. in America, you have people who are like begging for one more day sick from work to be able to recover from whatever's going on. 
and it's just such a an absolutely different mentality and, mm-hmm. and world for people to be living in. And it's so crazy to think that, I mean, as somebody who hopes to get pregnant one day, that I am living in a place where not everyone else is going to be able to get good care. And I mean, hopefully I'll be in a place where I'll have access to that. Yes. But so yes. many people in America don't have access to proper reproductive care and, and people who are pregnant. It's it's a lot. Well, it, it is, it's an injustice. Yeah. And I think when we frame it that way and we name it that way, a lot of people are like, no, no. But actually, just literally what you just described, your own personal situation, when you think about it in relation to our current system, most people are going to have similar thoughts to yours. Yeah. Most people are going to have similar experiences to yours. And that's including people who have good insurance, for example. <laughs> right? That's mm. the are thing. You, are you claiming that there's no good insurance? Well, no, because we're told all day long, no, this is the best. This yeah. is the most expensive. It's going to get you X, Y, Z. It's going to no, cover the most. It's not. You're still going to be not. paying yes. some. <laughs> You're still really marginalized because the system itself has it be... Um, that barriers are built in, baked in. Yeah. And, you know, again, business-minded ways of thinking and being around our health are precluding your right to true access to the quality that everyone deserves. Absolutely. Well, I'm now not just a grandfather. I'm a (laughs) great-grandfather. And one of my my grandchildren had a baby last month. Oh, just now? Yes. And and she had both a midwife and uh, a doula. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And a doc. Yes. And, she uh, had the full team. Yes. She had a rounded and out. And it was yes. in a hospital, you know, which I was kind of surprised you know, by. And, and, and she she described the whole process and the support system was just beautiful for her. And and so she had choices. She well, had choices and lots of people. Support. And, and, support. But lots of people don't have the resources, but you provide that support here at your center for anybody. Everybody gets the same access. Yeah. Everybody gets the same service. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets the same quality. Yeah. But what's centered yeah. is joy. Yeah. Oh, that's good She work. enjoyed that whole experience. Yeah. And vicariously, so did you all. Yes. yes. You all had peace. You all yeah. had a sense of well-being around. You don't have to be wringing your hands, worried, sick. Yeah. Is she going to make it? What's going to happen? Uh-huh. That's not on the table when we support families through this process, you know, with humanity. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you, it's a tough question, maybe unfair. Um, what keeps you up awake at night? I'm a mad, I'm annoyed. I'm mad a lot of the time. I'm frustrated. And I think that's where I go back to the injustice is what uh-huh. worries me, annoys me, has me... Um, you know, I'm angry a lot of the time because the, especially in this world that I'm working in, inside of childbearing, inside of people giving birth, bringing life, mm-hmm. perpetuating humanity, inside of all that, there's no room for this um, negativity. There's no room for this pain. Yeah. There's no room... You shouldn't be 22 years old and having to wonder, hmm, will it be okay for me when I'm ready? Right? Will it be okay for my family to be okay for me when I'm ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Your 22-year-old um, 
childbearing experience was probably quite different. It was a different era, right? <laughs> they, they led me into a room. And said, sit there and don't and move. Sit down, watch the football right, game. we'll call you when it's over. And we'll call you. Uh-huh. I know, because each generation, we get a different version. Most of it still is a little bit unjust. Uh-huh. And it's very frustrating because you have no power inside of these systems. Yeah. Not to say they didn't do right by providing the best care, but let's go historical a minute, because especially in America, it's really important to keep the mm-hmm. history in focus. So birth was always taken care of by women supporting women, right? Um, at some point, we decided to name those women midwives. Right? Okay. But if you look at historically from indigenous cultures through, um, you know, folk who, it, you know, enslaved black women, the African midwives that came with the um, African folk who were And is um, this enslaved. just during the birth itself or during the whole pregnancy? Pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Okay. It's a continuum. We don't see it as one event, yeah. but rather a continuum. And it supported the family in between as well, mm-hmm. right? So the birthing process has always been taking care of women by women, taking care of each other, taking care of families supporting the partners, the husbands, and so on. And through enslavement, through post-reconstruction, through Jim Crow, through the growth of America, the midwives delivered America at home. Everybody had a home birth. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an option. It wasn't a choice. It wasn't, let me think about, wouldn't it be great if I could do it? It was, this is what you do, right? Babies were born in the home by folk coming to the home to support you, not only during that delivery, but even the postpartum period. You'll hear stories of people who went, six whole weeks I had to lay in that bed because oh I was postpartum. Gosh. I was fed and I was taken care of and the you know the other children were watched. It was a community event. It's interesting in you talk about this anomaly because I didn't even think about it with pregnancy, but the first time I kind of heard about this, I was in a death and dying class and they talk about when people die, now we send people away to spaces yes. or to hospitals or they have or hospice, hospice care. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, at, at the same time where everyone was birthing in home, they, they were, were also dying, dying in the home. And the, this is why the midwives had this greater um, scope, if you will. Yeah. Because, yes, midwives do normal care, healthy, straightforward care, but they also have a continuum of care through the life course. So the midwives would also take care of the elders, right? Yeah. So it was a community thing. So mid-20th century, the physicians say, no, hang on, we want part of this. They created their tools. They created, you know, these different ways. They used the ether and the chloroform and knocked people out during the birth, tied their hands, tied their legs in stirrups, cut episiotomies, which was opening up the canal and dragging babies out with forceps. These were the tools of obstetrics. Yeah. Right. And obstetrics became popular as midwives were maligned, propaganda campaigns, particularly black midwives. The southern states, all of the midwives were black. I mean, for example, Florida had, I think, about 4,000. Georgia had 9,000 so-called granny midwives. But they were delivering all communities, black and white. Absolutely. Right. So the hospitals grew and then we brought all the mothers into hospital for delivering. Black people were allowed in the hospital, but through the basement, right? Those were the other, cons- cons- you know, um, constraints that added into a system that even to this day is so um, unequal, right? But as we've grown used to, hospital is the only place to have a baby. Medicine is the only way to have it. Inductions of labor, cesarean sections, et cetera, et cetera. That's a distinct American problem. Absolutely. And it's crazy because I feel like the only time I really heard about home births 
where when you talk about like hyper religious communities, that's right. Where they mm-hmm. either things like um, people who live in polygamy, where they they mm-hmm. get in trouble legally, or people who have extremely large families, and right. it was easier and safer to just do it in the home because that's what they always did. And it's funny that that growing up it felt like that was the other, but like we're the others. We are the other, <laughs> and those folk who had power and autonomy to make those decisions made them and kept going on. Home birth has always been here, always been present. Depending on which state you live in, it might be legal or illegal. There's places where it's illegal? Oh, still, to this day. About 20-some states are still illegal. Yeah, it's a mess. But what's important is, what, and this is something I realized on my journey to figuring out how I was going to make an impact on these, these problems, was that it's not about that, just that one day when the baby's born. It is about the, the, the peripheral, what I call the perinatal, the pregnancy itself, postpartum, in between, right? Family, parenting, all of that is also the purview of the midwife. So we said, well, let's open up to that, right? Mm-hmm. I've had the birth center for 20 years, but I, would, I was doing prenatal clinics and I'm still doing prenatal clinics even now because some people are going to always be more comfortable delivering in a hospital environment. Yeah. You just described a hospital birth that went perfectly. Yes, it happens mm-hmm. if you have the support. Mm-hmm. So we created support systems. We train the doulas. We train the midwives. We train physicians who are interested in how do you do a natural birth or a supportive birth different to the routine birth in hospital? Or how do you offer options for outside of hospital birth, birthing center like ours here or home birth? And we train the providers in a new way of thinking about birth so that they are also empowered. Yeah. So there's nothing that brings me more joy than seeing the family choose and get the result of their choice be validated by this healthy birth and experience, just like you just described. And not only the immediate family, but that ripple mm-hmm. and therefore the community. Definitely. And so the opposite is what keeps me up. The opposite, being frustrated and told, well, no, you can't do this, you can't do that. Or no, your um, practice is not legal here or there. Or you're dangerous. That's still out there. Or you are, you know, and that's from that propaganda from way back in the day. Midwives are um, illiterate. Midwives are unkempt. They are dirty. They cause harm. These are things that continue. These tropes have perpetuated through these decades. Right? So... When we look at statistics that stand, I've been here 20, sorry, 34 years now, the statistic has not changed. Three to four times as many black women are going to die during their birth experience in the United States. The most developed country in the entire world. Correct. Die. Hmm? And that's one horrendous fact. But here's the worst one. The ones that don't die. And we have a hard time putting a number on that. Because women, after they've been through an experience, they don't speak about that. Correct. They stuff it. They manage. But half of America, if not more, I'm sure, are depressed still, postpartum. Are not quite right since they had a baby. Are traumatized. Have PTSD. Don't know who to turn to. Have no support. Yeah. Back in the workforce five minutes after they've had a child. Struggling to make ends meet. Raising children without real support. All of these pieces connect into what keeps me up at night. Mm-hmm. Because it's wrong. Yeah. It's egregious and it's wrong. Where where do you get where do you get several things? 
Where did he get the courage? Because it takes courage. I think you've kindly overglossed the struggles you must have had being here in Florida during the years you came to to this neighborhood, to this community. But where do you where did it, did it come from? Your folks? Did it come from your? Where did the courage and the boldness and the commitment and the confidence? for you to have created and become a Time Magazine Woman of the Year. How, how, did, how did, how did, what, I know that's a personal question, no, but, I, uh, you know, here we are on a bed in, in a birthing center. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting a little personal. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a really valid question, and thank you for asking it. And, um... You know, I feel, you know, I feel like I can explain it and share my answer, but I feel also, you know, it's, it's from a place of, I mean, I, I know I keep saying the word, but it, it, the injustice that is part of my story is what drives me. So my husband, like I mentioned, you know, I met my husband and came back to the States to marry him. It was an American guy that I met while I was on vacation, if you can believe it. Um, a beautiful man, um, the, the the most amazing man. And he um, was a black American. He worked hard his whole life. His family struggled their whole life. He was the first to go to college. Um, some of those, you know, typical things that you might hear as far as how black America is. And he had his own business and he worked so hard. He worked seven days a week. He told me when we married, I'm only going to take two days off a year, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I thought he was kidding. He was not kidding. He wasn't joking. He worked every living day and he worked so hard and he was always exhausted. But he told me the stories of his family. His mom died um, at the age of 50. His dad died early. Um, there were so many um, areas of how the systems have, that are here have a detrimental effect on people and on families particularly. Um, he died early as well. He died at 60. And um, from just stress and the strain of trying to make things work in, in, in this environment, for me, within a year of being in the United States, I was um, 30 when I got here, and I had had endometriosis, which is a female, like a GYN issue, um, and I had a lot of trouble with it in, New in England, but we always did different um, methodologies, but none of them ever was, let's take your uterus out. Within a year of being in the United States, I was still struggling with that. I went um, for consultations, spoke to doctors, and the answer was no. The only way we can help you is to take out let's your uterus. Let's just take it out, yeah. So I agreed, because, I mean, at 30, I'd had one child, and I was like, okay. Well, I ended up waking up out of the surgery, not only without my uterus, but without my ovaries as well. <sighs> 30 years old. A full hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. And they're both ovaries. So that was menopause Yeah, at 30. And I realized there was a relationship between me being a black woman, me being, um, I wasn't really ignorant because I'd had this condition. I'd worked with it all these years with other physicians and other providers in, in, in England. But I was ignorant of the ways of America. I was ignorant that the insurance that I had made, um, was impactful in how I was, 
um, treated. Um, I was put immediately on a very expensive medication for um, estrogen replacement. Um, all of these things. It's a long, miserable story. But bottom line is that was when it hit me. Oh, there's something going on here that needs to be dealt with. And that has driven me because for every woman that I can help not have to be in that situation, because as a medical professional, as somebody who had agency and power, mm -hmm. even privilege, I still got lost in the system. I was blindsided. I consented to the surgery. I did not know what he was going to do. He obviously did. But, you know, all of these things to me were the impetus for this will not, no, we're not having this. We are not having this. So that was the first push that made me go back to fight for my license. I hadn't been able to figure out how to get licensed at that point. And it was lucky for me, I actually met Lawton Childs, who was the governor of the state at that time, because his daughter was having natural births. And I happened to be attending a birth with another midwife colleague, and she took me along, and I met um, the governor's daughter. And after she spoke to me, she said, I'm going to talk to my dad. And together, we figured it out. There were some old statutes on the, in the Florida legislature, left over from the grand midwives, if you can believe it. Mm -hmm. from the 1930s mm -hmm. and in areas where there's a shortage of providers and what they call critical need you could have a temporary license to practice as a midwife wow so guess what i got that license i was the first foreign trained midwife to be licensed in the state and that opened up the door for me to get back into practice mm -hmm. and then i went from that independent road and i went on as an entrepreneur set up my hung my shingle so to speak and started doing home birth and started reaching more people. And then folk would be, well, you know, I don't want to have a home birth, but will you do my care? And I was like, absolutely. And that made me realize what the problem was, was access. I never had access to any other physician but that one who did the surgery. My insurance dictated where I went. You know, it was just like there wasn't any options. And so I want options for folk. And so that's how it began. Like no one turned away right? Finding, you know, avenues, whatever they, their choice was to support their choice, baking the support into the care so that they could at least try to fend for themselves inside of the same system that I'm very clear is broken. And now recently, most recently in the last few years, we've added on supporting the providers because so many of the providers in these same broken systems, they struggle too. It's, you know, there's this moral injury, there's this you know, vicarious trauma that shows up. They know these things aren't quite right. But they're stuck. What are they going to do? So it was a matter of like, how do we build in and bake in support so that folk don't have to go through the kinds of experience that I went through and particularly the mothers don't have to go through when they bring in life? Like, how can we not have that be normalized. Yeah, I was going to say the medical system in general in America is so gatekept. I think about like at 22 years old, I've had ups and downs and, and family medical things. So I feel very privileged in that I have been taught how to call my insurance company and what steps to go through to do different things. And I have the confidence and experience to, to talk to different doctors about whatever issues are going on. But I have so many friends who are like, oh, this is hurting. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, go to a doctor. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Or like, mm -hmm. I don't know what to do for this. Mm -hmm. And 
and it's insane. But the other big, big thing we touched a little bit on, on race, but the, the bigger issue I think when it comes to this stuff is, is the gender inequity. Mm-hmm. The fact that, yeah. that anything women related yes. hasn't been studied very thoroughly, yes. hasn't, hasn't had time, hasn't been invested in, and more importantly, isn't taught to, to women. Those right. of us going through it yes. are completely oblivious to so many things. I, I think it's kind of funny um, that on, on social media there are trends going around where people will be like, this happens when you're pregnant and this happens when you're pregnant. I never want a child. Mm. And I think it's just funny because, I mean, it, it's in the moment kind of banter and, and a woman can or a, any birthing person can make the choice on if, if they feel like that's what's right for them. But it's crazy to think that in what other area are people so unaware of what happens to our lives and our bodies and, and what we need to to exist or go through this required process mm-hmm. for humanity to survive yeah, exactly no other no other group of people no other space of people no other experience is in such a weird dynamic because yes. we're going yes. through something we have to go through and are completely clueless that's right as to so many factors of it mm-hmm. and do you feel like do you feel like people who have midwives because it's a much more kind of human focused mm-hmm. practice rather than just a typical doctor's visit and, and hospital situation. Do you feel like they're more aware and Absolutely. feel more connected with their birth process? They have so much more independence of thought. They can make decisions. Autonomy is, is huge. Yeah, autonomy. Um, so from us, midwifery centers the mother baby family. Um, midwifery, the word literally means with woman. And so it's patient centered care. Yeah. It's client-centered, you know, it's family-centered care. We have a lot of kids in the mix. We have partners, we have grandparents, we have neighbors. Anyone who's there for you is immediately involved in this circle of care and support and education because when people trust, they'll listen to the information and they will in turn use it. So I've got a really good example of how what you've just talked about plays out in my practice. Yeah. So like, most of the folk I work with still choose hospital. I don't follow them to the hospital, so they don't get the midwives delivering at the hospital. They okay. get the physicians, but they know that during their prenatal care, they have midwife support, and in the postpartum, postpartum they have midwife yeah. support. So well, here's a statistic that really just illustrates that. Locally, the C-section rate runs around 30%, sometimes a little bit higher, sometimes a bit lower. It's been like that for decades. Okay. So one in three women are getting a C-section in this area. Our C-section rate runs between 15 and 17%. And these are the women who have come through the clinic, gone on on their own to have their birth with their family at the hospital and come back to us postpartum. Mm -hmm. They are cut 50% less than the general population in the same hospital. And why do you think that is? I know it is because they've learned to just stand up for themselves, understand their body, speak up. Their partners are empowered. Mm-hmm. Right? Our dads don't play. You better not come with your crazy. That's huge. If somebody's, you know, been through our clinic, that dad is ready to go. Like, oh, hold up. We need to know about X, Y, and Z. We can make One, these decisions. One, two, and three. Yeah. We heard da, da, da. We know, like, and people are like, I mean, when I do get to talk with some of the dogs and the nurses, they'll tell me things like, Jenny, your patients are always so prepared. We don't even sit and do class, like heavy duty, like, here, take your notepad and write it all down. Uh They just organically, by the end of their pregnancy experience, they get it. 
That's huge. They know how to support and protect each other. A lot of them don't even need doulas because they go on and they're ready to go. And the stats show that that must be the case because there's no physiological reason why just because you came through our clinic in Winter Garden or in downtown Orlando that you don't need a C-section. Correct. Right? So that's the only other thing left. Yeah. Is the support, the respect, the dignity. These are the components that constitute the difference in the care but affect the physiology. And what do you feel like like are the biggest misconceptions and kind of stigmas around having a midwife or a doula. Like to me, I think a big thing that I wasn't really aware of was the education aspect, that it's not just like somebody who kind of decided that they're going to help people through pregnancy and Mm -hmm. just hang out with you through it. Like you, you have a formal certification process. The midwives, uh, my program is a three year training program. And they have, you know, all that time to really work on really fine-tuning the mil- the skill sets. You know, um, they have to do the minimum of 50 births before they graduate. That's cool. Yeah, they have a lot of hands-on and a lot of competencies are built into the midwifery training. The doula training is very much shorter, obviously, but the doula training is about supporting and advocating um, comfort measures, obviously, for labor, but it is a whole lot more education-based than anything else. Mm-hmm. And folk become able to stand up for themselves thanks to the doula support. Absolutely. And the partners especially are empowered to be a part of the whole process. And so it's not just like you say, um, fly by night. It is literally well thought out. We offer the certification, accreditations, and we work our midwifery training to the world standard, the International okay. Confederation of Midwifery Standard. That's yeah. our, our goal and our purpose. And we feel like that's how we can make sure as midwifery grows in the United States, that it grows from a place of standardized safety and, um, you know, careful application of the the art of midwifery. Yeah. Are there any other stigmas or misconceptions that you think you hear a lot? Many, many, many. I go back straight to the the propaganda that has painted midwifery as second class. Some people will say things like, so somebody, well, why are you having a midwife? Can't you afford a doctor? Um, yes, there's, there's race in there, there's poverty, there's class in there, there's general just, you know, ignorance around what midwifery is. Yeah. And then there's territorialism. Mm. Yes, I, I think, uh, I'm certain that, uh, the doctor's organizations, uh, medical organizations are constantly pressing legislatively yes. to keep midwives Legis- out of the hospitals. Um, we're fortunate we're in our mm-hmm. town where, in fact, one of my neighbors just moved in and she moved in from Michigan with her four kids mm-hmm. and uh, her husband, and she was hired by the hospital to be a midwife. Lovely. And and yeah. so it, that choice exists in my community, which means that here in Florida, it must be possible. It's possible for the hospital-based midwives. It's also possible in Florida, not many states, but for home birth midwives and birth center midwives like myself. Uh-huh. But what we do have is, you're right, legislatively, it's always precarious. Oh, I'm sure. We hang by a thread and we hope that we, you know, going to be left alone yeah. enough to do our work, right? Oh, oh I'm sure. But there are states where I've got students who are in other states where they are not able, when they finish the training, to be able to practice. They have to practice in different states where it's still legal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit of a mess. 
yeah, it's a bit yeah. of a mess because again, in this sort of segregation of of healthcare, which is basically what's going on, sure, we who are we hurting? The families, absolutely. Sure. What do you think is is next? Like moving forward. I mean, obviously, legislation is a huge one. Even making it legal legal for you guys to to be able to do home births, to participate, giving you guys access to hospital births so that parents yeah. can make that choice to bring you guys along for that. What else do you feel like is, is coming on the horizon or is happening right now that you think are huge in the space? I think there's a lot more cross-education between the, the professions. I think physicians do begin to understand a little better. Um, hospitals, for example, you know, they do the little, look at the curtains, look at the decor, look, you can bring your lavender oil. Like there's these sort of little nods to, okay, we get it. We yeah. want you to have, you can have a birth plan. So we've got that going on, but I am hopeful. I mean, I'm going to just say this out loud so hopefully it can become a reality. I'm hopeful that the next steps are the collaborative stance, that the hospitals and providers will be open like they are in every other area in the world where midwives operate so they have backup as part of their work, as a standard. You, A midwife without backup is really an unsafe situation because during birth during pregnancy postpartum complications happen and you guys aren't you guys are anti-hospital you're not at all you're pro parent and baby pro parent and baby but also pro collegial collaborative interdisciplinary work so you know we don't have any argument when um the community health worker goes out to teach the diabetic patients about how to eat right and work alongside of the diabetic physicians and nurse practitioners. Everyone understands that. No drama. No drama. Right? Yeah. But you say well, the midwives want to work alongside the obstetricians. <gasps> how what dare have you they? said? What's wrong with you? Wash your mouth with soap. Right? Mm -hmm. It is completely outside of anyone's thinking that that could be a thing. But that's a thing everywhere else. Yeah. When you need a C-section, you need a C-section. That's when you need an obstetrician or a surgeon, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. that's, that's how it works. And when you, guys, you don't, you don't. You guys aren't trained to do those things, but you're trained to see the signs that's to right. know that you we need are, those that's resources. That's our work, to recognize what's outside of normal and get help. Yeah. And so where you've got a barrier to that help, now you're jeopardizing both the midwife and the family. And because you guys have spent that time with the pregnant person, yes. you're way more apt and ready to see those signs and prioritize yes. them in that baby's care than somebody yes. who's seen 18 other people in the past hour and that's has right. no idea what they're walking into exactly. or the history of a person. No, no, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. And again, you know, this is, these are the systemic issues, the institutional issues that historically have been put in place. And for some reason, we don't want to think about maybe rethinking that. Yeah. We're stuck with that. So these poor, I feel for the obstetricians, you know, they've got to keep the office running, right? So you can't be in two places. Correct. You're either delivering the baby or you're in the office seeing a patient. Which one are you doing? Mm -hmm. And when you're running between that and the golf course as well, well, now you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I, I've seen the same kind of problems, uh, with nurse anesthetists mm -hmm. yes. who are Good example. Out, outstanding, yes. educated, mm -hmm. uh, capable, effective, yes. and yet many, many legislators uh, in states mm -hmm. are, are being pressured by doctors not to allow uh, those nurses to 
to exist, to function, to be independent, to, and for many of them, they're more educated, uh, especially in some areas than the than the, the doctors are. I think any of the so-called physician extender positions are, you know, at the the mercy of, you know, unfortunately, the capitalism and the business mindedness of the structural healthcare that we have, mm. you know, the territorialism shows up because the physicians feel that their level of education and investment in their careers and the ability to earn around that is going to be impeded. Mm-hmm. But yet we see historically, I mean, we, we don't have a shortage of need for doctors, right? Especially OB doctors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just like the nurse anesthetists, what we have as a, a level of practice in terms of being able to relate to the patient. Unfortunately for the docs, because of the volumes that they seem to have to take on or want to take on, they can't have those personal relationships anymore. It's not like in the old days yeah. where they knew the families personally, where they would go to the home. I was going to say you had connect. one doctor who well, did they, everything for the whole family. They don't even want to be in small town America. Thank you. They want to be in the That's cities. The and rural... so they push. Yep. So yep. who's going to be out there That's in those right. county hospitals? Exactly. Who's going to be in the rural areas? Who's going to be in the mountains? Right. Uh, they're and not they, going to be. No, they're not. And, they, you know, they as they close these smaller hospitals and move to the big regional, it leaves this ma- massive gap, not only in the you know, the, the people that we're trying to serve, but also in the professions. Because then the next level is like, well, let me keep going up. Let me do more education. Let me spend more time and effort to get to this next layer mm-hmm. up the rung in order to justify. And then all that's happening is you're moving further and further away from that original dream, which was, I want to help people. Yeah. I want to do medicine because yeah. I care. Okay. One more question. Yes. <laughs> there may be more, but one more. <laughs> If you had to use one word to describe Jenny Joseph, what would it be? One word. Tough. That's a very deep question. I have one in mind. <laughs> for her or for you? Uh, for her. For her. But, uh, um, I'm going to say um, driven. I, I was thinking committed. I was going to say brilliant. Oh, bless you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, That's funny. I think you are committed. And driven is... Driven is, the, is it. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah, it's special. I was going to say, as, as we start to wrap up, we're nearing our, our end of the episode here. What do you think it's important for everyday people who... Who are seeing this video to know or to do or to think about? Start with yourself. Start with your personal story. Start with your family. Look for inside of what's happened or is happening. Look for some joy. Yeah. Because there's some in there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You bring in life or you bought life. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Whether you're 22 or not. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and that somewhere inside of there, there's some really amazing, magical piece that if you just stop and think about it a moment, it will come forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those of you who want to know more about this, you don't have to remember the name of the birthing center, the name of her organization. You just Google 
Jenny Joseph, and you'll find all of that information, wonderful I'll, information. I'll throw some links below for people. Oh, good, to because have access to. she really has done research. There really are solutions for improving education and care, and they're doing it right here. Absolutely, uh, you know, uh, and it's happening all over the all over the world, but all over America. Other people who are trying to make sure that, that yeah. people have access to this stuff. So definitely uh, pull out your Googler and and look some stuff up and and see what you know or don't know. I hope everyone kind of learned something new or or got some interest in today's episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say thank you to everyone who's watching and listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday with another episode. This is me and my grandpa. Thank you, guys. And we wave goodbye. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye.